0: DiscerningHearts.com and the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study presents Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon Doran, along with her husband Steve, are founders of the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study, whose mission is to actively seek truth and raise up disciples for our Lord Jesus Christ through an in-depth Catholic Bible study. Sharon, who holds two master's degrees in education and in pastoral theology with an emphasis in sacred scripture, is an experienced Bible study teacher for over a decade. She has a passion for scripture that motivates and challenges her students to immerse themselves in God's word and apply his message to their everyday lives. We now begin the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study with Sharon Doran.
1: Today, we are going to delve into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. What is it? There was a song we used to sing back in the 70s, and it went like this. The kingdom of God is the way we live, willing to share, happy to give, and the kingdom of God is love, 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 and the kingdom of God is love. Sorry about my voice, but I just, I'll, I'll never forget that song as a kid, and we sang it a lot. The kingdom of God is the way we live, willing to share, happy to give, the kingdom of God is love. Well, that's true in a way. And the kingdom of God is love. Because St. John tells us this in his first letter, that God himself is love. And so, too, his kingdom, his reign, would be in the realm of love. Uh, Let's just listen to that from 1 John 4, that section of scripture, starting at verse 7.
2: Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God, Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since god loved us so much we also ought to love one another no one has ever seen god if we love one another god lives in us and his love is perfected in us
1: well then i guess there was some truth in that little ditty of a song from the 70s about the kingdom of god being love his love perfected in us the kingdom of god ushered in the father's greatest love for all humanity jesus that while we were still sinners jesus came he took on our fleshly nature he entered into humanity and he showered us with love and he showed us the face of god no one had seen god but jesus was sent straight from the father's heart straight from the father's bosom to make him known to us jesus said to philip if you've seen me you have seen the father philip but his kingdom was not of this world Although he was sent by the Father to establish a kingdom here on earth, that kingdom of love starts in our own lifetimes on the earth. But the kingdom of love is quite different than any other worldly kingdom. In fact, this eternal king will crush the head of the prince of this world by his perfect love on the cross. His kingship is quite different. His is a rule of love. His kingship is a rule of life. Satan, the prince of this world, was a ruler of sin, and his realm is death. He rules over death. He did, at least, until Christ crushed his head. Satan has been defeated. Death was the last thing Christ had to smash, and he did that in the resurrection. Christ's authority is established by servanthood laying down his life in a perfection of self-donating love, perfect obedience to the Father, perfect trust for the Father's plan on the cross, a crucified king who unites himself eternally with man's suffering and becomes the answer for man's disordered humanity in a fallen, disordered world this king can reorder all worldly kingdoms into a new creation Pilate, the prefect of Rome, was ordered by Caesar Tiberius to be in Jerusalem at Passover time, the Feast of the Jews, and Jesus was sent to Pilate to stand trial, and Pilate must maintain Pax Romana, peace for the Roman Empire, especially at this time of Passover when so many pilgrims would be present in Jerusalem. Listen now to this dialogue about kingdom in John chapter 18, beginning at verse 33.
2: Pilate asked him, What is truth?
1: Ah, yes, what is truth? Truth personified was standing right in front of Pontius Pilate. Truth was standing there staring him in the face. And Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and striking him on the face. And we know that King Jesus was crucified. And we know that Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross above his head, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. Then the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, "Do not write the king of the Jews, but put this man claimed to be the king of the Jews." And Pilate answered them, "What I have written, I have written." Let's study now this king and his kingdom in more depth as we join our Seeking Truth Synoptic Gospel Lecture Series now on the Announcement of the Kingdom of God. Hello, welcome. Welcome to Seeking Truth. Tonight, the Announcement of the Kingdom of God, the Announcement of God's Kingdom. We're looking at Matthew chapter 4 and Mark chapter 1 tonight. Now, Elvis Presley was the King of Rock. Michael Jackson was the King of Pop. King James, that's LeBron James, he's the king of the Cleveland Cavaliers, he was. They dearly loved him in Cleveland. He had a chalk powder clap and they'd say, Hail to the King, King LeBron James. King James would reside over his royal court until he was traded to the Miami Heat, right? And now he makes $17 million a year, 17 and a half million, that's not with endorsements, that's just his salary. All sorts of kings. We've got the king of interviews. That would be Larry King. (laughs) And we've just got this great interest in all sorts of kings in our culture. Future kings, two billion people watched the wedding between Prince William, a future king, and Princess Kate just that desire to to follow and to watch and to know a king a king this one has to be king first prince charles we're still watching him to see when he will take the crown but people want a king people want a leader people want security prosperity peace people want protection they want their borders secure they want economic security They want stability, they want a ruler, they want a king. We want a king. We want a leader who will secure our nation, bring peace to our borders and protect us and and offer economic security as well. People want a good king. But in the deepest, deepest recesses of our hearts, we want a real king, an eternal king, a true king, a king who will rule the world with equity and justice for all. We want King Jesus in the deepest place of our heart. Three kings from the far east came to worship baby King Jesus. This kingdom started out very, very small as an embryo in Mary's womb. He will be greater than any other Roman imperial king or emperor of the time. In fact, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. This is the real king. This world doesn't recognize this kingdom, including Satan, until after it was too late. This kingdom was and still is a paradox to us. You want to be the greatest? Then be the least. You want to be the master? Then be the servant to all. You want to be burden-free? Then carry a cross daily, a heavy one. You want to fully live? Then die. Die to yourself. Die to your selfish desires. Die so you can have eternal life with the king. The Psalms spoke of the king. We don't understand king like they understood king. The Psalms told of a king that was coming. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the people with equity. There's King Psalms. Let them sing before the Lord. He comes to judge the earth. He will rule the world with righteousness and the people with equity. The king is mighty. He loves justice. The people of the Old Testament, the Jews, were waiting for a king like that. Waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and God had been silent. Earlier they had clamored and clamored and clamored for a king, we wanna be like the other nations, we want a king, we're tired of the judges, we want a king, we want a king. So God allows Samuel to anoint King Saul and five chapters later in the Bible God says, I regret that I have made King Saul for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. So a young harp-playing king will be the second king of Israel. His name is David, and he also is anointed by Samuel. And God promises David, when your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom for." I will be his father and he will be my son Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me Your throne will be established forever David didn't live long enough to see that promise fulfilled But God promised David a king, a forever king, an eternal king from his own loin was coming David thought, perhaps it's my son Solomon Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt and married his daughter. He brought her back to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because the temple had not been built yet for the name of the Lord. And Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the statutes of his father David, except, except, He offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place, and Solomon offered a 1,000 burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream and said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. And Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and he was righteous and he was upright in his heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and you've given him a son to sit on the throne this very day. Now my Lord God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I'm only a child and I do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servants here are among the peoples, A great people, too numerous to count, so please give me, give me your servant a discerning heart, Lord, to govern your people, to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. Solomon had asked for wisdom from the Lord, a discerning heart, so he could govern with equity. This is a good king. So the Lord said, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, you have not asked for the death of your enemies, but discernment in administering justice. I will do what you have asked Solomon. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so there will never be anyone like you. There will never be another king as wise as Solomon. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honors, so that your lifetime, there will be no kings equal to you. The Lord was well pleased with Solomon. And if you walk in my ways and obey my statutes and commands, as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Wow, it's a great promise. That was a great prayer, Solomon got the gift of wisdom and he was very wise, he was world-renowned throughout all the earth, people would come to Solomon. He could dispute any case, he would listen to a case and he, could, he knew the right thing to do. He discerned wisely with equity. God made him wise and very, 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 very rich and he gave Solomon many people that would love him. Many people came from all over the world to meet him and ask him questions and give him problems. They brought him many, 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 many gifts. In fact, Jesus Christ talks about him in the book of Luke. The queen of the south, that's the queen of Sheba, will rise at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. And now, one greater than Solomon is here. King Solomon, however, loved many, 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 Many foreign women, about a thousand, he took seven hundred wives, and three hundred concubines a fullness of women, women from the Moabites the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonians, and the Hittites. You should remember those from Genesis. Are we supposed to intermarry with those nations, Israelites? No, he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And he started building altars and offering sacrifices for each wife's god. He made a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab. He made an altar for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites, where they would burn their children, stoke the flames inside of of Molech and burn babies offering to the gods. The Lord became angry because Solomon's heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Although he had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. Solomon's getting pretty full of himself. (laughs) I didn't know how to put it nicely. I was gonna say it a lot worse than that. Since this is your attitude, and you have not kept my commandments and my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hands of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but I will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, and the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. So... This is not boding well for Solomon because of his own self-centered choices. Solomon did get the temple built for the Lord, and the glory of the Lord did fill the temple when Solomon dedicated the temple. And the Ark of the Covenant did reside in the Holy of Holies under Solomon's reign. It took seven years to complete that temple, seven Hmm, this is a new creation going on. In the 12th year of his reign in 827 BC, King Solomon dedicated that temple and its contents and the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the temple amidst inaugural celebrations that lasted for seven days. There were daily miracles at the temple. The rabbis write about it. One of them, that the flame never went out. The winds could blow as hard as they wanted and the the flame to the Lord would never go out. This was an archetype of the dwelling for God in the physical world. That's what the purpose of creation was supposed to be. For the next 410 years, the Jewish people would bring daily offerings to this magnificent edifice. And here, the nation would gather three times a year to see and to be seen by the face of God. Here, the divine presence was manifest to humanity. Solomon's reign was a golden era for Israel, a great kingdom. His capital became the center of wisdom and riches and splendor. Monarchs, as well as ordinary people, would come and gaze on all the marvels with wide-eyed amazement. The land of Israel developed into a great center of commerce, and the Jews lived in peace and happiness. A Hebrew idiom for this time was that every man was under his vine and under his fig tree. That means there was prosperity Every man had his vine and his own fig tree. Great prosperity in this time for Israel under this kingdom. Now remember in John 1, when Philip found Nathanael and he said, come on, come on, we found the one Moses told us about. We found Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, come and see, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and he said, behold, an Israelite indeed and in whom there is no guile, no duplicity. He saw the heart of Nathaniel. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now the Jews were waiting for a prosperous time again, a new kingdom. God had promised a king from David's line, a king, a time of prosperity again, when every man would sit under his own fig tree and he says, Nathaniel, I saw you under a fig tree, and Philip knew that idiom, that in time of great kingdom and prosperity, every man would have his own fig tree, is this the king we've been waiting for, is this the one, and Nathaniel says, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel, now see, we read that, and it goes right over our head, because we don't understand kingdom and we don't understand they're waiting for a king and he's under a fig tree and 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 when it, the new king comes from david's Orient, there's going to be a time of prosperity and every man will have his own fig tree. and there he sits under a fig tree during solomon's lifetime judah and israel from dan to beersheba lived in safety each man under his own vine and fig tree now nathaniel answered him you are the son of god you are the king of the jews and jesus said because i said to you i saw you under the fig tree you're going to believe You're going to see greater things than this. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What's he referring to? We studied it last year in Genesis 28. The dream of Jacob, Jacob's ladder. You're going to see that. You're going to see that. Remember when Jacob was sleeping. And he had his head on a rock, on a stone. He was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate to heaven. And early the next morning, Jacob took that stone that he was sleeping on under his head and he set it up as a pillar and he poured oil on it. He anointed that stone and he called that place Bethel. And Bethel means house of God. And he set that stone up as a landmark, a tangible reminder of God's presence in the world. The story of Jacob's ladder focuses on this stone. This stone will be God's house. This is where the temple's gonna be built eventually. He anoints it with oil. He builds an altar there. He offers sacrifice to the Lord there. He worships the Lord there at this place, Bethel, house of God. Now in John 2, we see that new creation. He's changing water to wine, his first miracle. But right after that, if you remember, he goes and clears the temple, and it's very violent in John. Uh, the most violent account of it and his disciples remember that it's written zeal for your father's house will consume me this is the place this is the house of God the ark is not in the temple the presence of God is not in the temple and Jesus steps onto the stone mount where Jacob had the dream house of God and he says destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days and the Jews said, well, "It's taken us 46 years to build this temple, and it wasn't even done yet. And you're going to build it and th- you're going to rebuild it in three days?" But the temple he was speaking of was his body. And after the resurrection they would understand. Not now. Jacob had called this place Bethel, which means "house of God." And he set that stone there as a landmark. Remember about this stone. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. It's in all the synoptics and in Acts. Peter says, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. You too, all you guys will be like living stones. You're built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For scripture says, see, I lay a stone in Zion. That's Jerusalem, that's the Temple Mount, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who puts his trust in me will never be put to shame. Now, I have to tell you, in Mark's account of the temple, Jesus is going to clear the temple, they're leaving Bethany, Jesus is hungry, and he sees a fig tree in the distance, and he goes over to find out if it has any fruit on it, and when he reached it, he found out it was nothing but leaves, there was no fruit on it. Well, it wasn't the season for figs. But he says to the tree, Make no one ever eat from, fruit from you again, and he curses the fig tree, and his disciples heard him say it, and they're kind of taken aback, and what does that mean, then he goes on, and he clears the temple, just like in John's account, the next morning as they went along, they saw that same fig tree, and now it was all withered up from the roots, and Peter remembered, and said to Jesus, rabbi, look, that fig tree, that fig tree you cursed, it's withered, what's that all about, The Jewish people were like a fig tree. They were supposed to produce fruit for the kingdom of God. And they're all hung up in these technicalities of the legal law. They're not bearing fruit anymore. A new time of bearing has come. A new covenant has come. A new kingdom has come. One where every man will have a vine and sit under his own fig tree. A time of prosperity again. This fig tree, the old covenant, it's not producing anymore. It's cursed and cut off. Remember when John was out baptizing in the Jordan River and he said, you brood of vipers, when the Pharisees and Sadducees came and he told them, in Luke's gospel, he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. The ax is already at the root of the tree, and every tree that did not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Their fig trees withered. They're not producing fruit for the kingdom. The Jews were to be a light to the nations, a light to the Gentiles. They were supposed to Everyone was supposed to come to the temple to see the true presence of God. The story of King Solomon is a sad moral lesson for us. It's a moral tale. It does not end well for Solomon. He fails to heed God's counsel. He gets caught up in sex, money, and power, really. Good thing that's never happened again. (laughs) He systematically fails to heed God's word. He took 700 wives, 300 concubines. Jesus will take one bride, one, the church, The book of Sirach says of Solomon, how wise you were when you were young, overflowing with instruction like the Nile in flood. Your understanding covered the whole earth like a sea filled with knowledge. Your fame reached distant coasts and you were beloved for your peaceful reign. But you abandoned yourself to women and gave them dominion over your body, Solomon. You brought a stain upon your glory, shame upon your marriage bed, wrath upon your descendants and groaning upon your deathbed. Thus two governments came into being. Sirach also tells us, call no man happy before his death, for by how he ends, a man is known. How are you going to live your whole entire life? Because Solomon had wisdom at the beginning. Jesus says in Matthew's Gospel, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. This is a journey, an uphill journey, carrying a cross. Who is sitting on the throne of your heart right now? Who's your king? Whose reign are you under? Is this king, Jesus Christ, ruling in every single area of your life? Or is there something you're keeping for yourself? That's mine, that's mine. He doesn't need to get in my business there. He's not my king, I'll be my own king in that department. Is he king of your life? Is he on the throne room of your heart in all areas? At the end of King Solomon's life, he was guilty of indiscretions unbefitting to his great stature as a king. And God told him that he would be punished and that the kingdom would be torn in two. And indeed it was. After Solomon's death, the ten northern tribes refused to accept King Solomon's son Rehoboam as their king. And a divided kingdom ensued. In 796, the country was divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. There were kings of Israel and kings of Judah. The kings of the kingdom of Israel practiced idolatry, but so did many of the kings of Judah. There were good kings and bad kings. So God sent prophets repeatedly to admonish the Jews, but they refused to change their ways, choosing instead to deride the prophets. Even Stephen, when he's being stoned, he says, was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him too. Friends, thank you so much for joining our Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study Lecture Series today on the announcement of the kingdom of God. This kingdom is like no other. As the angel Gabriel told the young virgin Mary, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb. And bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Now that is kingdom talk. His reign, Jesus' reign, is an eternal reign Jacob's very final blessing over Judah is found in Genesis chapter 49, and Jesus himself was born into the tribe of Judah, Jacob the father of the twelve tribes of Israel. Jacob, Israel himself, says to Judah on his deathbed, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from beneath his feet until tribute comes to him, and the obedience of all the peoples is his. The obedience of all people is his. He rules the nations with an iron rod. His reign is without end. He has the throne of David at the right hand of the Father. He reigns over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there is no end. And we are part of that kingdom of love. Is he your king? Does he sit on the throne of your heart right now? This is a kingdom of love. You can fully submit to his lordship, his kingship, because he rules all the people with justice and perfect equity. Seek for this kingdom. Seek first for his kingdom. If you seek first the kingdom of God, you will find it and all other things will be given unto you, not worldly things, but heavenly things. Every good and perfect gift of love that the Father wants to bestow on you. Until next time, keep seeking truth and his kingdom, which has no end.
0: You've been listening to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To hear and or to download this episode, along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. To learn how you can become a participant either online or in a classroom setting of the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study, go to seekingtruth.net. This has been a production of discerninghearts.com and the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study. Join us next time for Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.